au jus, Brute. <laughs> that's that Caesar's order. <laughs> Gentlemen, we have sat on this fucking veranda for a week. We are tired. We are dirty. But it's all for the job of figuring out what is the single greatest movie of 1982. My name is Ryan, and welcome to the season finale Woo! of the two-part season finale of Movie of the Year 1982. <laughs> the most unpredictable night in Hollywood. Gentlemen, we've got four movies left. Blade Runner, Fitzcarraldo, The Thing, and E.T. Any surprises there? No. You don't think Fitz- Fitzcarraldo's a surprise? I guess Fitzcarraldo's I mean, a surprise. I think if you rewind the clock to before the season, yeah, it's a surprise. Ten years ago. Yeah, <laughs> when we were so young. actually, back in 1982, we when the season so began, little. when this was just a recording we made for people's Walkman. <laughs> um, I want to do you like dumb laugh. <laughs> I want to do one of those pithy intros where we just shoot the shit for like five minutes, and everybody's like, "God, they're so funny and yeah, cool." You know, I like mm-hmm. a bunch of votes. But the two awards that we have coming up are sex and violence. So, actually, why don't we take a break and just give out those fucking awards, <laughs> gentlemen? The first award tonight is Best Sex. Mike, not nominated, and I know how hard you were pulling this for this oh, one. It was I was hard. Elliot calls his brother penis breath. I wish I had not said that comment. <laughs> 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 I think it's very important. I think it's more violent than it is sex. I could do that. Uh, but, you know, penis breath is a real thing, and go to your doctor or dentist for that. <laughs> Uh, should not have been nominated or even considered. Um, in Forty Eight Hours, we have Gans, the villain, and the prostitute. Greg was. We didn't. You don't think that deserves to be nominated? I honestly, um, I. It's not that you don't think something needs to be put in there. It's the one thing we did is we switched it to most impactful uh-huh. sex. So we're saying best sex, and that that's what it was before. But it's like most important to the movie. It's not like yeah, it's not sexiest. Like, mm, sex. They sex no. so hard. Yeah, because I think we found it. Initially, we thought it would be best sex, but because this is America, like we're not allowed to watch. We don't that. have a great relationship with sex, guys. Yeah, like I mean, I don't think we've, we we watch very few movies where two characters just lovingly have You're sex. You're see with these nominees. I can't think of one. Yeah, <laughs> Basic Instinct. Titanic. Oh yeah, sex in a car on a boat. I thought of one. <laughs> That's the only way I can do it. Begins in the prostitute. He's a villain and she's a prostitute. And yeah. It's, okay. Let's just move on. Great. You know what I thought? What I had hoped would be nominated for that, but was not even like was not nominated was uh, Eddie Murphy's character having sex with like that woman that he met. Yeah, because that honestly, that's as close to nice, sweet, loving sex. Like he has been talking a big game about like, oh, I got to get my rocks off since I got out of jail. I know my Eddie Murphy's really good. Um, <laughs> I know you guys. You don't have to. But he kind of acts like a twenty-two-year-old guy would. Like you know, oh, I got to go score. And then after, though, he's just like, I'm going to call you when I get out of prison. And like, <laughs> he thinks they're going to get married. He's so sweet. And it's like, that's the most realistic. That's how yeah. a lot of dudes get after. Also, doesn't he do that in front of a dude? Yeah. Which is like the most impressive thing to be sweet to a girl. Yeah. In front of Nick man. Nolte. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so not, not just a man. The man. Nick Nolte. Greg, your first nominee is, we talked about it so many times last week. It's here now. Brad is in the bathroom. Fast times at Ridgemont High. It's definitely impactful. I mean, this is probably the most iconic scene. You know, I would say, outside of like E.T. in uh, in front of the moon on yeah. the bike, probably the most iconic scene of this whole year. Of I'm, I'm going to argue, not just this year, of any year we've done of movie of the year, Phoebe Kate's walking out of that pool with her top and, off. And, you know... Uh, 
an underrated part of this is he's dressed as a pirate. Yeah. I feel like we, so it's, so, it's so easy to forget that part of what's Even going more on. Even I mean, That's what hits him a day later. He's like, and I was a pirate? <laughs> yeah, dude. He smelled like, he must have Long smelled like the friars, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. If you work in a place like that, you reek of that shit. Man, I, I know it's too late, but if you can't lock the door... Try to open a drawer so the door will oh, open yeah. into it. Try to jam Getting the carpet under. It, maybe that'll Man, do something to you. What are you doing? What are you doing? You, you can't have, leave your, your back to an unlocked man. door. Go to your room. You have guests well, over. The room might not work because there might not be like a direct line of sight to Phoebe Cates. Oh, use your memory. You didn't have phones that broke that yet. <laughs> Greg, the next nominee is Deckard and Rachel from Blade Runner. Yeah, and this is where the impactful designation impactful. comes in, I think, because like this is the movie is kind of about their coupling. And then the sequel becomes like about the result of that, you know? And so it's very important. But it's also, especially by modern standards, uncomfortable. But you know, I've been reviewing like my position about this over the last few seasons. I someone online brought up um three days of the condor Mm -hmm. and i was like i'm gonna check this thread i'm gonna see if anybody has the same issue i did with it and when people talk about three days of the condor they just talk about what a rip roaring good time it is so maybe i it's not it's not that these things are not problematic it's that maybe you just have to get used to it but there is an uncomfortableness i think you get this this more than any of the movie this season did remind me of three days of the condor yeah but it's not i don't like the the whole she goes to leave and he bars the door sure and then they end up having sex there's the implication is bad then i do think the movie again like it's it's people's perspective versus the movie's perspective i don't think the movie thinks deckard is a great knight in shining armor no he's a nuanced complicated kind of and he's very confused right because he's a robot so like he's like very confused himself i do also i think that scene really stands out to me because of the actor and it really puts Deckard in this strict comparison to Han Solo and Indiana Jones, who could absolutely get away with fucking anything they right. want yeah. to with any girl. And Deckard stands out from those other two because this is how he is with women. This is what and, he thinks that he has to do. And I don't know if it's a cop-out, but isn't it very noir? Isn't that yeah. a very yeah. 1940s... Well, and, and what's so interesting she about was a that dame. is reframing is, is not only was it, you know, dudes in the 40s were sexist, but it is the uh, baby it's cold outside conundrum. Is it a date rape issue, or is that song so old that a girl had to say that to be able to enjoy sex? And I think noir deals with that a lot. Yeah, I think we we get hung up on little boys and little girls watching this and learning, right? You know, and I think that even Han Solo, like the way that he acts, like that's not something that I want kids to watch. I think that's worse for kids than if your kid is dope and watches Blade Runner as a five year old. Uh, I think Han Solo is a, because everybody's cheering for Han Solo, and instead of people watching Deckard are like, "Wow!" Yeah, you can tell <laughs> Deckard is the piece of shit in this scene for sure. And I mean, like, I saw this as a young man, and I didn't think that it was appropriate to act. No, that I've way. seen you pull that on people at bars, <laughs> and it never works. <laughs> if you don't let them leave the room, right when Mike and I got to the studio tonight, Greg shoved us both against the wall, and I was turned on. Mike, <laughs> the next nominee, so Terry Gar is nominated in this category. Hell yeah! Woo. But it's Michael and Sandy from Tootsie. Um, I don't know if we see them. I, I guess we see Michael with his pants down. Yeah. And Sandy comes out. And then out he's and like, like, starts shuffling towards yeah. her. Hello. <laughs> so and, sexy, at least in my. And there's a post. Yeah, it's, I think it's how their hair is post. And you're like, oh, these guys fucking had fun. They had consensual fun. But she was uh, under false pretenses. Yeah. But the false pretenses, sorry. The false pretenses are, <laughs> I would like to sleep with you. Yeah. It, 
but then they do. Is that false pretense? He's not being like, hey, the lights are off. I'm a different person. You know, it, this is an example of not anyone doing anything to manipulate somebody into sex. But they definitely shouldn't have had sex. But I, no. sex is confusing, right? Yeah. I think that it is manipulation. Like, he was trying to try on a dress. And he didn't want to get caught. And she walked out and saw him naked and said, like, oh, is this going you're, down? you're doing this because you want to have sex with me. And he was like, yes, I do. And later in the movie, she's like, man, this really messed everything up. And the only reason he did it was just to cover his right. ass. It wasn't even to, like, bang her and then forget about her. It was to Which not... Is, at the end of the movie, she says, I wish we yeah. had just, like... Both of us, not, neither of us won a relationship and we fell into it. But I guess it's so honest and real. And also it's, it's I guess it's manipulative because he wasn't a thousand percent honest. But it's not anywhere level of creepiness that the world, if so much of the world. If is. you're 1% dishonest, you're 100% dishonest. I, I fucking hate being That's how I live my life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mike, the next one. Uh, the winner of Biggest Shithead, Mike Damone and Stacy in the Pool House. What an unsexy, yeah. completely accurate Realistic. portrayal of teenagers <laughs> having sex. It is uncomfortable. It's so weird how it's become like the focus of our culture, this obsession with it. I think it's actually slipped because teens don't really do it anymore. <laughs> but like, it's that's the worst sex you ever have in your entire life. Don't have sex in high school. Like seriously, high fidelity. Don't have sex in high school. Wait until you get to college. And then honestly, like year three. But and th- but then fuck everything. But it's also what it's gonna when be you're bad 20, no matter what. When you're 24 and up, go crazy. But yeah, you have to kind of like you have to wade through some pretty. So get it out of the way young. I think, I think <laughs> with people... another young person, I'm not a creep. <laughs> I think people get it. Uh, want to get it done with young because they don't want to look like an amateur, right. In college or whatever. Super bad deals with that directly. I think and they say that. Not realizing that when you get to college, for the most part, 99 percent of the time, they will just be as. Anxious and nervous and amateurish as you. Yes. Uh, Greg, sex is never good. <laughs> sex is the one thing that where you should strive to be amateurish, right? Yeah, I try to. <laughs> Greg, the final one is worse than Stacy and Damone. It's Stacy in the dugout. Yeah, uh, uh, her sort of like just staring at was it the light or the yeah, clock? The camera does this perfect job of I've, if I look up at him, it's like the soft light, soft like the Vaseline on the camera lens. And it's romantic, but it's not. And so her, the camera lens just moves up to the light. Let's just focus on anything else. Yeah, uh, we need to expect more out of men. Like it, yeah. it, it's. I read recently Christine Emba's book, like uh, Rethinking Sex, and it, you can't just do such a shitty job at having sex with somebody. That's not right. You have to. If you have sex with somebody, you have to like be there and you, do I, a good job. I'm going to be brave and say, maybe care about them more than about yourself. But Don't this, just pump away in the in the dugout. There's this whole thing about how like dudes want to have sex with as many girls as possible because that's just the instinct, you know, sow your oats or whatever. But really it is, I can't have sex with her again because she already knows how I have sex. Yeah. And I'm terrible at it. And that's, that's why men fetishize virgins because then it's like, let's not they let them know, know how bad I am at this. But, and it's like, she knows how bad he is at that. Like, she's not having the time of her that's life. That's why Mike... Damone makes so much more sense than this 25-year-old with a high schooler of like, I always want to talk about it. I want to have the reputation. I'm never going to do it. The thing thing about that 25-year-old is that he might be great at sex. He just chooses not to be now. Why? Mm. Why waste the effort? I mean, if he were a star, he wouldn't be on the bench, right? That's true. Just in the (laughs) fucking dugout right in that punt. He's no Mike (laughs) Napoli. That's for goddamn sure. Everyone sports. Drink. <laughs> Most famous baseball player of all time, I Mike Napoli. deep cut. You have that one because he spanked you at one point. I spanked him. Thank you, you spanked very him. Much. Okay. Uh, Best sex of nineteen 
Wait, what were we? 2004? <laughs> uh, your nominees for Best Sex are Brad in the Bathroom from Fast Times, Deckard and Rachel from Blade Runner, Michael and Sandy from Tootsie, Stacey and Damone from Fast Times, and Stacey in the Dugout from Fast Times. Not a sexy year, 1982. No, honestly, the one I'm least upset about is Brad <laughs> by himself. We've all been there. Greg, you have the envelope, and I who have is right the now. winner? And the winner... For best sex is Brad in the bathroom. Brad in the bathroom. Congratulations, <laughs> Judge Reinhold. Come and pick your award up. It will be here in the pop filter bathroom. Um, but we do have a time limit in the bathroom here. Thirty also, seconds and you're out. Judge, before you get here, wash your hands. Yeah, come dude. on. Dirtbag clue. Brad in the bathroom with the giant dildo. If Judge Reinhold gets here and like, because our pop filter studio bathroom, there's a window that looks right down on where we record. Yeah. If he asks to use the bathroom, the answer is no, buddy. Yeah, especially if you start hearing that guitar solo. Constantly in red bikinis while we record. <laughs> Uh, the next one is, of course, Best Violence. Greg, not nominated, is Batty Takes Out Terrell. I'm surprised by this because eyes and thumbs. I, I'm, eyes su- and thumbs. I'm surprised about this because the reason I think this violence is interesting is that for Batty, this is dethroning and killing God. Mm-hmm. He literally holds his God in his hands and crushes his skull. And that is like... Not that we like aspire to that, but there is something yeah, I think in us yeah. that like recognizes that like it's so anime, you know. You like, want to punch your dad, you want to kill your god. <laughs> Would society be better if, when you turn twenty-seven, you had to kill God, jab your thumbs into your father's eyeballs? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think society might be better. And I mean, right? Like, it's not a coincidence that he pokes out his eyes, right? Like, I mean, it's a deeply symbolic thing to do to him. Mike, should it have even been considered? Is the Enterprise? "Quote unquote explodes from Star Trek 2. This is for best violence. Uh, no, it's stupid. <laughs> you mean the the intro to the fucking movie? The, this, is the, this is the first thing we see in the movie. Sort of mocking the whole show that came before it. Yes. No. No, it's not violence. So you're saying it should not have been considered? No. And it was not. Mike, <laughs> the first nominee is from Das Boot. Have we talked about Das Boot we at all? Not Whoa. in. I would say three years. <laughs> talked about Das Boot. The burning of the merchant ship. Okay, because again, this is. Uh, most impactful violence, right? right? It's not like, oh, yeah, get them. Uh, so emotional. So watching watching Nazis uh, be uncomfortable with what they're doing and what's happened. And no, we cannot save the people screaming for their lives. I can't think of more impactful violence except for the kid from Come and See hiding behind that cow. Is it weird how grounded this felt considering they were in the fucking water? There's no ground in the water, no right? Ground. I mean, it's way down there. It's so far. They call them Nazis, but they were in the sea. Yeah, like that's yes seas. <laughs> uh, this is how we have to talk about Das Boot. <laughs> uh, You're smart. Yeah, this, this is, I think, like, there's so many moments in Das Boot that will never escape my brain. But one of them is them going out to just see what's happening, and they, we never get the Michael Bay or even Steven Spielberg camera zooming around the sub. We only ever get it from their perspective yeah. of watching these people. Uh, jump off the sub on fire. Like, this was harrowing. Yeah, and uh, apparently, like, very historically accurate that, like, if you were a sub captain and you were taking out a ship, you had to stay to sea, and so you basically sat there and through the periscope watched people die or drown. Man, there's so many people who are into subs, it would be the last thing on my list of, like, things I would like to do with the military. It's the tiniest area you could ever live in and i call them hoagies <laughs> well that it all depends on where you're from <laughs> i'm not calling them heroes uh, Greg, 
The next nominee is Deckard versus... You have talked so much about Deckard and Batty tonight. Yeah. But uh, best violence, Deckard versus Batty. Last week, we... Or not tonight. I'm sorry. Last week. Uh, we already brought up last week the tile ex- head explosion. <laughs> yeah. How much Here's more Batty. incredible violence is there in this movie between these two? Uh, Batty puts the nail through his own hand to sort of like focus himself. And then he does There's the... There's a lot of symbolism in this movie, isn't there? There sure is. Oh, Ryan. he's Jesus. Just got <laughs> it. Um, and he does the 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 most surprising thing, which is he saves Deckard. Uh-huh. Um, and it's like in that way, you know, that's a clue probably as to what the nature of Deckard. But also, that's the way in which Batty decides to to live on. Is his message will live on through like this carrier that and like once Deckard dies, or once this battle is over, his life is over. Like this yeah. is gonna be it. So I would rather have I'd rather go out on in this way than this way. But it, it the the last scenes encapsulate the whole movie, which is there's like cool stuff and there's exciting stuff and there's dramatic stuff and there's like really good lines and then there's just this weird carnivalesque aspect mm-hmm. of Batty's like totally naked and driving his head through walls and just like losing it and it's like everything is sort of spiraling get, out of control. In certain circumstances, Goofy is scarier. Yeah, like he plucks that dove just out of the air, like. <laughs> Do you guys, like Randy Johnson did that one time? Do you remember that? Uh, do you guys get the impression, and maybe I'm just like, this is too much Klaus Kinski in me, but they were restraining Rutger Hauer for the entire yes. shoot, and they were finally just like, you know what, bro, go off. Rutger out. <laughs> you know, the only reason I would say I don't think that's true is um, all the JF Sargent, like his army of toys, I, and the fact that like um, uh, Pris is like does so much tumbling and stuff uh-huh. there is there is like in the dna of the movie there's a lot of weirdness and i think that either in cons- consultation with him or directing him directly batty brings all that up it's true and like if you watch the movie it's so dark and terrible and gritty what's a hack internet term grim it's all grim, grim dark, dark for so long and then there's also all of this clowny shit right yeah. and they're fighting against each other until they're literally fighting against each other at the end. Which is also why I argue it Blade Runner is gritty and dark. It is never grim dark. Mm-hmm. I think there's a big difference of cuz grim dark well, is Grim dark is like a, a negative It's dark for right? dark sake, which right. I do not think Blade Runner is. It's like corn. You're like the band corn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, corn, get out of here. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, go. I love corn. <laughs> uh Greg, the next nominee is Dogs in the Pound from the thing. Yeah, this is definitely impactful. Uh, <laughs> it, This is like one of the hardest scenes to watch, uh, especially because those dogs really do seem so terrified. But No, they're actors, Greg. <laughs> they know what's happening. Those dogs are very clearly like, uh, that dog, something's wrong with that dog. I don't <laughs> like that one. Um, but uh, it's super scary, super gross, super intense. And you're, super table setting. This yeah. is the movie you're in for the rest of the night. And you're, as like scared of Twizzlers, folks. You know, as as the audience, you are you know the movie's called the thing. You know there is a thing, uh, and you're trying to figure out the nature of it. And in that moment, you are really like, "Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! What's what is this thing? What's going on here?" And so, I, I, impactful, yes, mm-hmm. very highly impactful. I remember so much. Like, I just remember like every shot. I remember the dogs freaking out. I remember being uncomfortable that these dogs aren't actors they're actually this freaked out because this other practical effects dog just exploded on them it's a crazy scene do do you think it's more impactful now because in the last 10 years society has become obsessed with dogs uh, yeah and before they were just workmen it. like they were just like our peers 
Uh, yeah, I think that in 82, uh, you could totally just beat the shit out of dogs. You could, like, like there was no, I don't know if there was PETA, but they definitely didn't have the name and, like, the voice that they have now. Right. Uh, Mike, the next nominee is also from The Thing. It's the dude on the table, and that's the craziest way to explain it because so much shit There's happens a lot going scene. on in that scene. His belly becomes teeth. There's several heads involved. His head starts his, to spider away. His head makes a break for it. <laughs> it oozes away While he's from the dying. rest of the body. And that becomes very important. It's but the, very, knowing that like he, that the that the entity itself will run away from itself. It's the it's my favorite and the funniest part of the movie where we see Hell it go yeah. away and a couple of characters do too. And it like, skitters uh, away. It also like pauses. Like, is anyone to see? Yeah, <laughs> it's really. It's like a it's a it's a head with spider legs and it tries to just mosey on hey, out. No, they should have had the head whistling. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, what are we doing? I'm just yeah. one, of the, one of you. Uh, I've been here the whole time. It's what separates it from a movie like Alien, where the xenomorph, or like a movie about bears or any wild animals, like they're just jaws, let's say, killing oh. machines. This has personality yeah. in this scene. You know? and it's, it's like funny. It does stuff to fuck with you. It enjoys fucking with you. Yes. Mike, the final one is from Gandhi, I believe, another movie that we have not mentioned. Well, Candace Bergen, we yeah, talked we about did. a lot. We went in pretty hard on Candace Bergen. Uh, the. Giant massive killing is uh-huh. not nominated. This is a row of beatings that got nominated tonight. The, I guess the reason I would I'll talk about both right now. Thank you very much. Uh, you are welcome. The massive killing in that show we kind of decided was too obvious at what it was trying to do, and so that severed the impact because you could see the camera being like, "Now though, look at this." Uh, or the the beatings, the camera is just still, and just five dudes at a time walk forward until they get beat. And then five dudes walk and they get beat. And five and just that The that, repetition is for a reason, for the audience to like. And it's methodical and calm. And, and before it starts, there's like characters that are setting out like um medical supplies. Yes. Like they're like per- like I mean the, like you see them prepare to be beaten. What's crazy is that when we watch World War II movies, it's like the Nazis Nazi soldiers are always falling back on we're just doing our job. But here we have Gandhi's followers saying the same thing. We're just doing our job. So both these jobs are just going to happen at the same time. It's a living. It's a living. Your nominees for Best Violence are The Burning of the Merchant Ship from Das Boot, Deckard versus Batty from Blade Runner, The Dogs in the Pound from The Thing, The Dude on the Table from The Thing, and A Row of Beatings from Gandhi. You don't want to rip through the whole envelope, Mike? No, I'm good. <laughs> I don't want to stitch together eight pieces. Your winner of Best Violence is the dude on the table yeah. from The Thing. Because it's fun and funny. Billy it's, Teeth. It never stops adding things. Like, it's just <laughs> constantly being like, uh, put a mouth right there. Okay. Let's, put, let's throw some fire there. We kind of suspect this guy at the moment. He starts having a heart attack. The doctor's about to give him a shock, and then his belly opens up and just eats the doctor's <laughs> arms. Also, we've got seven... Like built soldiers, and then one chubby dude in a sweater. Like, yeah. dude, you are gonna get fucked up. So, congratulations to the thing and to the dude on the table. You both had rough lives. When we come back, we're gonna take a break. And when we come back, guys, four movies will become three. Your number one seed is Blade Runner. Your number twelve seed is Fitzcarraldo. Now, I don't want to do what everybody thinks I'm gonna do. <laughs> And freak out and vote for the first seed, right? Guys, we got to give some talk to the 12th seed. Fitzcarraldo made it all the way to the final four. And it should be very proud of its effort. And it's not like, uh, it's not, 
you know, like, oh, good for you, sport. Like, no. it's worth it. it. It's it's a very good movie. It's just running into a real powerhouse here. People should watch Fitzcarraldo. though. One thing I have to say uh, that I didn't love about this movie is all the dialogue is overdubbed, and it's not done in the most careful mm-hmm. way. I mean, once and it gets to that point in the production line, no one fucking cares. It's already been eight yeah. years of yeah. trying to make this movie to like, get it out. Yeah, but it's like, I, I felt like they could have worked more to <laughs> sync up what the overdubbing was or try to make it a point of the movie. Maybe it was, and I just totally missed it and the other thing would be i i'm getting a little tired of these directors who think that they can just do anything as long as they're also pointing a camera at Mm -hmm. it and be like well it's art so and it's like okay if you're getting people seriously injured because you're dropping a boat on them because you refuse to just like make a miniature version of the boat and drag that over a miniature hill but see great when you were talking about uh your feelings towards sex like three days of the condor yeah this is another one where i think we butt heads where this will take the movie down a couple notches for you, and I can't help but like it more. Yeah, you know, like the because terrible, terrible things happened, but we got it on film forever. Yeah. I, I think it's like sort of the argument of Nope, you know, of like what's worth getting on camera, right? And oh, and, and Nope, sure. I would be the villain. Yeah, you are, <laughs> and not just a Nope, the, the villain and the shithead. I I think it's also. Can I find my point again? You talked about Nope, and it wiped my brain clear. Gordy chimpanzee shoe standing on its toe this is helping (laughs) (laughs) oh nylon bad guy thank you it did help uh that even though it was so long ago like 40 years at this point i think it's rare to make the person of hubris also pathetic Mm -hmm. again talk about ways how movies in the olden days were better than modern times is he is not a strong man he is not. He is obviously pathetic, and people do not like him. And you know that right away. And that makes, I guess, at first sympathetic because you're like, yeah, let's bust out that opera at that party. And then very quick, you're like, no, this guy does. Suck. This is a guy who like he doesn't just want to put on opera. If you try to stop opera from playing, he will fight you. Yeah, he will fight you so that opera can play. But I, okay, so I, I I see what you're saying, and that is so different from most movies, which are like, no matter what that white dude does, he's he's in the right, and we should let him do it. But then does the movie sort of deny those points by giving him so many moments of grandeur? He thinks they're moments of grandeur. They're all, even the end. When and he, they're quote, filmed quote, as moments of grandeur. Right. Yeah. right. They're filmed of that. But even the, at the end, and it's filmed like he quote unquote won because he moved the goalposts because he now has the opera and he's on the boat that he got to rent for one more day. It's always pathetic. And that's very funny. But does Herzog <laughs> want us to think that? I think so. I Or I guess the other argument is that striving in itself is her- heroism. I think it's both of those things though, right? Isn't it that this is a risible goal? This is absurd. But also, anytime you set your marker out there and say, I'm going to do this thing, and then you achieve it, and it, like the odds were so long against you, isn't, can't something both be a triumph of the human soul I mean, and just be stupid? Yes. And I think he is better than a lot of the other rich dudes and still sucks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he acknowledges I'm going to make that. my own path to suck in a different way yeah. than the rest of you. I think we all agree he sucks. It's just whether or not he's also kind of triumphant in his sucking. But I mean, to try and determine what is the single greatest movie of 1982, also an absurd goal, and we're about to do it. Like, look at us. Are and they... there are extras and backline people who are dead because yeah, of we our efforts. shoving people off cliffs. <laughs> I don't know I why. made a mud pit just so I could kick producers into it. Before we get to the number one seed, um, let me ask you guys this. If 
this it's hard because of how the years work, but uh, if Herzog comes up again in a bracket, does Fitzcarraldo make him more likely yes. to get to the top eight or less likely? Do more likely. Just, more likely by a, a lot, I would because say. Because it's, so, it's such a complicated... Con- and, and with every movie, I mean... He, Grizzly Man might be one of the only documentaries to ever have a chance to make the top eight because the filming of that is so complicated to talk about. Yeah. Right? And I, that's, I mean, that like, ultimately, you want to be entertained at the movies, but mm-hmm. also you want to be challenged and you want to be made a little uncomfortable and you want to see if you can become comfortable. And, and that, you know, Fitzcarraldo does all those things. I mean, would you be that surprised? If there was a documentary about the making of Burden of Dreams and no, how staged honestly, it no. was, and like how turtles like, all the way down, yeah. <laughs> and I, I think why why Fitzgerald Elvis before watching this, all I knew was Grizzly Man. He made that and watched the dude die, but wouldn't show other people. And the show me the baby, like <laughs> I knew so I little like to see the baby. Right? And, and yes. how much of it is because of Paul Tompkins? Oh, so much. Uh, and now I'm like, oh, I think this guy might be one of the uh, again filmies. No. What a big deal he is, but he should be in the conversation with your Spielberg and your Scorsese, your Michael Bay's, your Michael's, your Bay. M Night, and I mean, Romans. bottom line is he is uncompromising, right? And that's why this story spoke to him, and that's why the making of it mirrors the story itself. Is because he understands what it's like to say, "I will do that thing." He's just the because. only person who can make this movie yeah. tell this story, and that's fascinating. The number one seed is Blade Runner. Did you guys see Blade Runner? I did. Such a good movie. So important. Like, uh, like it, it created so much of the world that we now inhabit. You know, like it, it created, it helped to create cyberpunk as a genre. Honestly, this part uh, at this point, I'm so nervous about any movie that comes in front of this. This feels like a buzzsaw at this point. Yeah, well, it's made of blades. <laughs> it's very fast, and it's it's even though it's in the future, it's eighty two as fuck in yeah. a way that fits Corrado is certainly. And not. like you know, we we were talking about this earlier, but like. They made that city block. They made yeah. the like the whole industrial setting is is miniature, but not it's not small. It's miniatures that fill up like like whole studio lots, and you, the the realness of that, and it's also like a version of the future. So much from the perspective of nineteen eighty two. I mean, like the 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 movie sees Japan as so ascendant as to like merge cultures with America. Yeah. And maybe culturally we have adopted a lot of what is cool about Japan, but financially, like Japan is not the juggernaut no. that this movie imagines so that we would like have some sort of like integrated society with theirs or that, that the West would probably be better if that was right. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, perhaps, but so like it, it the, the retro futurism, yes. I feel like uh, it is something that didn't even really exist much before Blade Runner. And so, and with all of that, it's still so entertaining, so complicated, I mean, so would interesting. Tokyo be the stand-in for every movie that needs a futuristic-looking city if it wasn't for Blade Runner? No. All right, uh, let's go to a vote. Greg, Fitzcarraldo or Blade Runner? Blade Runner. Mike? Blade Runner. It's Blade Runner. Blade Runner moves on to the final two. When we come back, a couple more awards. Gentlemen, it's time for another award. A moody, if you will. <laughs> it's the best comedic performance. Oh, excellent. I'm going to start with the not nominated. I cannot believe uh, Michael Keaton from Night Shift not nominated what? for best comedic performance. Absurd. I'm beside myself. You guys, this makes sense to you? No. I. Mm, it, somebody's quiet. It was probably because of me. <laughs> I felt like, honestly, 
I like, there's so many Michael Keaton performances I like. Ryan, you know I've seen Multiplicity multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, so your four favorite Michael Keaton performances. Yeah. Wait, you'll only watch Multiplicity, though, if it's a copy of a copy of a copy of a VHS. Well, I think that's the spirit in which it was meant to be <laughs> seen. Um, but I just felt like, honestly, there's more misses than hits in, in this performance. And I don't necessarily think it's 100% his fault. I think he's he's giving a lot. I just... They made the character more annoying than funny, and I think he, Keaton is good at walking that fine line. This is Greg's passive-aggressive intervention with me and you, Mike, as Both podcasters. Of us very much identified <laughs> with the Michael Keaton character to the point that IRL we argued who was more <laughs> <laughs> uh, more hits than misses. He's giving a lot of energy. <laughs> Greg, I'll throw the should have even been considered to you. It's James Garner. From the very funny movie, Victor Victoria. Okay, well, Victor Victoria is a very funny movie, but James Garner as King Marchand is purposely not giving a lot of comedic notes. I think he is kind of, he's taking the he's taking the L by being the straight man, right? He really well, he's is. He's a straight yeah. man, even though he's a little curious. <laughs> he's, uh, this is Maverick, this is Rockford. Those are two characters that are far be- like before our time. But I thought, like, J- Jimmy Garner, he's going to bring some shit. Yeah. He did not. Greg, we're going to keep it with you because the first nominee for a comedic performance is Terry Gar from Ta- Tennessee. Terry Gar. So excited to have a chance to keep talking about Terry Gar. Um, my favorite line reading of hers is when uh, she and Dustin Hoffman are ta- are like trying to talk their way past a front desk and Dustin Hoffman storms away and she asks the lady who just works at the front desk, <laughs> is he going to come back? And it's so funny even to recount the line, yes. but... She does such a good job delivering that line, and it really that's the the heart of the performance is that she's like she's attractive, she's an attractive young woman, but she's awkward, mm-hmm. and that awkwardness is always as funny as it could possibly be. And would you be surprised if the director accidentally kept rolling and that was a garism she just no. added on there? No, because there's definitely I I got the sense very strongly that she was breathing a ton of life into oh, yeah. what would probably otherwise be kind of a flat, weird for sure character, and it's like. Her awkwardness is so important because it's she. What is so awkward about her most of the time is that she's kind of attracted to her buddy, but kind of not, and she doesn't know what to do with it. Or like attracted, but I, I'm, I feel like I'm the only girl in this room who can see the douchebag. Yes, yeah. yeah, and I have to kind That's of take care of you, and I don't want to do it eternally. Right. So I can I posit two questions to you two gentlemen. Yes. One, can we start a Guar cover band called Gar, and all our songs are about her? <laughs> it's still costumes and vomit yes. and everything? Of course. Of course, uh, yes. And two, we've done this before, so there is precedent. Can we just put Terry Gar in the Pop Filter <laughs> Hall of Fame right now? I mean, we've done two movies, but her fucking dominance tonight. I I it's, mean, it's, it's so much based on tonight. And also, again, the IRL conversations that these people are not privy to, and you know they're aching to hear. <laughs> uh, she is a common topic of conversation. Well, we have Gar Chat that the three of us do. Of for course. No we're Gar reason. guys. I mean, come on. We record it and instantly delete it. We're, the, mean, we're the Garboils. In, <laughs> in the uh, interim finale, I think that there's precedent where you can just bring it to motion at any point you want. Yeah, a magical evening. So if it's a motion, you're allowed to say so it. Put the motion forward. Can I? Terry Gar should be in the Pop Filter Hall of Fame. Greg, what is your vote? I vote yes. Ryan, what is your vote? <gasps> I'm just. I mean, the the clear answer is no, but I'm so swept up in the magic and romance of the night. How about if she wins best comedic performance? We put her in the the Pop Filter Hall of Fame. All right, fine. If she wins, then she's in. My vote is win, and you're in. Uh, Mike Michael Keaton was not nominated for Night Shift, but Shelley Long was. 
Look, I love Shelley Long. I'm a longshoreman, and everybody knows that and says that about me. Uh, she was great. She, I, I think, similar to a lot of female roles in movies from the 70s to the modern day, she's somebody good enough who goes, I see the role. I'm going to put in a little more light. I disagree. It. I thought she brought a lot to this. That's what I said. The, like Wait, the, what? The script was flat, but she... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I said, see I see the role. Okay, I'm yeah. going to elevate. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, you know, we, like, another star-making performance. Like, yes. you know, she the went, best she is in anything, right? Well, I mean, Cheers is a pretty good show. Yeah, Cheers is good. But this is the cheer. This is the template for Cheers. Yeah, uh, and the Cheers character was so grating sometimes. Yeah, unlikable. Where this character from Night Shift is just nonstop awesome, adorable. Mm-hmm. She's kind of like, um, she's like a paper feminist in in Cheers. It's like like what someone who does not like women would think like a, a feminist is like. In Gord. this, she's like much more. Like a real person, yes, you know, and yeah, like uh, how she bounces back between being secure with her job, but also you could make her insecure if you really try. Mm-hmm. And like, what does that say about you? Just handled all of that well. And I, I think the whole knowing nothing, but we get to just stay stuff on here. I don't think Pretty Woman would exist without her role in Night Shift. No, always say this wouldn't exist without this. Yeah, that mm-hmm. makes you sound smart. Well, this would not Pretty Woman would not exist without Shelley Long. I just want to shout out real quick that Film's Body would not exist without Movie of the Year. That's true. <laughs> Greg, I'm so glad to see this person here and ask you about him because I was a little nervous. I was a little nervous based on your other, the other things you said that Eddie Murphy wouldn't get nominated for Best Comedic Performance. Yeah. But that- it's a, this is full of Nick Nolte thing, right? Yeah. I mean, honestly, when I was first watching the movie, I was bracing because Eddie Murphy's got some... Like his stand-up comedy sometimes goes in some directions, but it's a little raw. The mo- <laughs> but the movie does not. Nor does he wear his fruit roll-up ensemble. Um, it really is like, do you remember the soldiers in Hook would jump? Yeah, he jumped through a giant fruit roll-up. <laughs> but uh, he's the one breathing like life and reality into his role, and it's so multi-dimensional. Ultimately, I just I think yeah, I had a problem with Dick Nolte, but like this is. Some of the best Eddie Murphy yeah. that I've seen. Starting from when, before we even see him, we hear him. Yeah. And him just singing his little heart uh-huh. out in the jail cell. Off key, but he could probably key, sing Roxanne. well. Uh, he was off well, key. Well, we know he can. His album was was to come. It's only on key. Mike, uh, as somebody who likes 40 Hours, uh-huh. um, Walter Hill, incredible director, action director. I think I still think good script. Nick Nolte was a star-ish at the time. If it wasn't for Eddie Murphy... Would this have possibly fallen into that bin of eighties action movie that yeah, we never? It would hear be forgotten. I, I think like I like a lot of those things you just said that I definitely listen to and remember. But I don't think people would talk about this movie without Eddie Murphy. Speaking I don't think Lethal Weapon would exist without Forty Eight Hours. Speaking of a young SNL starlet, Greg, the next nominee is Bill Murray from Tootsie. Yeah, I, another like surprise to see him, and I don't know some of these comedians. Uh, when you get them young and their their shtick hasn't really developed yet, mm-hmm. you just get more of the promise and a little well, bit more of the energy. Yeah. yeah, and that this is like the most refreshing Bill Murray performance I think I've ever seen. Fucking Michael Dorsey. Fucking His two Michael best friends were Terry Gar from Tootsie and Bill Murray from Tootsie. Like, man, get your life together. <laughs> there's the line in Bill Murray. It's like very early on, there's the party scene. It's after we've seen... Michael's all failed auditions and his long rambling like and if people say hey man I got it I don't want that I want them to say what did any of that mean and just what? that fell <laughs> he's like I saw your movie 
what happened? <laughs> and honestly, thank you. Like, oddly enough, that could almost be that scene almost explains what, what we generally say about movies. Yes, we don't like the movies where we feel like we really get them. We like the ones where afterwards we're like, what happened? But I don't f- want a writer to say that because that's how Christopher Nolan feels like he makes his movies. He's, he just <laughs> wants he like a director's like I'm so much smaller than the, my audience, aren't I? It's a good director from- accent. Mary Poppins? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shine your shoes. Kiernan Oog. Film uh, your film, governor. Mike, the final nominee. And when I think about Terry Yar, Eddie Murphy, and Bill Murray from this category, laugh out loud punchlines. The final nominee, Mike, is Robert Preston. And I'm not sure they're there as much as just you're going to make me smile the entire time. Wall of charm. Just just wall-to-wall charm. And yeah, every line smirking is at some every level line. of joke. And... Yeah, it's he knows that the whole world is a stage in the unhealthiest of ways and really delivers. And again, I think it's really like a, it's a vaudeville yes. sticky. And not to take anything away from Robert Preston, but Terry Gar, Eddie Murphy, maybe even Bill Murray. We've talked about tonight how like they they improv that like that wasn't in the script. Like they're blown. I, I feel every line that Robert Preston says is very scripted, oh, but yeah. in the best way possible. I think that leans to the vaudeville nature of it. Right. right? Is that this, it feel, and the fact that you can still deliver it like that and it works. For him, and I can it, see the writing. Like that Terry Yar thing about, like, is he coming back? That's so, yeah. it's funny because it's so odd. Right. You yeah. know, like that, we don't see that. But with Robert Preston, everything he says is so familiar mm-hmm. that that's what makes it funny, you know? But it's familiar, it's arch, it's, it's, it, it's new while being lived in. Like, this guy. I want to find more of his movies than the two I know exist. What if it was? What if his IMDb was two movies? I'd watch them over and over again. <laughs> Best comedic performance nominees, gentlemen, are Terry Gar from Night Shift, Shelley Long, or I'm sorry, Terry Gar from Tootsie, Shelley Long from Night Shift, Eddie Murphy from Forty Dollars, Bill Murray from Tootsie, and Robert Preston from Victor Victoria. Pre-rip. And as per our agreement, if this is Terry Gar, if this is fucking Terry Gar, I'm gonna shit in my pants. Terry Gar. Oh, welcome <laughs> to the Pop Filter Hall of Fame, Terry. And welcome to Ryan's Pants, a big old turd. <laughs> Terry Gar, I hope you have a Funko Pop made after you, because you are now in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's going to be a tough fight. <laughs> <laughs> we'll probably have to buy like a Leslie Nobe and change the outfit a little. Uh, speaking so much of uh, Victor Victoria, let's get to best musical moment. Greg, not nominated, was Fit Getting to the Opera. And us having to watch, what do you think, a solid eight minutes of an opera in that movie? Of like, and it's like helicopter shots, like circling around. No, no, no. Uh, in the beginning, when he actually. He, oh, he, yeah. His hands are bloody. And oh, he's yeah. Like, he's guy, please let us in. Fighting his way in, like traveled for three days just to get here. And we get to, exp- like, I don't like opera, but I do now because he likes it mm. so, so much. Yeah. I have to say, that's a lot of opera, but it pales into comparison to how long an opera opera oh, is. Yeah. Like, Man, a couple minutes of opera, that's cool. But like when they do an opera, there's like three hours with like a half hour break in the middle. That's and too much. If you're there the whole time, you're like, but Bugs Bunny's going to come out the raid soon, right? Yeah. It's the Anakin Padme. <laughs> but Bugs Bunny's going to come out the raid soon, right? <laughs> Did Herzog put that shot in? Because it really is just like a static shot of eight minutes of opera. So we could appreciate it too, or we could think... Fitzgerald's even crazier. Yeah. I think we're supposed to walk that. Yeah, I think we're supposed to walk that line between like. Opera, opera is an art that is not accessible to a lot of people. Like I like most art. Opera I find very challenging, and I and then there are the people who are so into it. And I think that you, it has like us Frasier walk. Train. It has us walk that line where either 
Yeah, it is both things. It's the folly and the triumph. That's what opera is, and that's what the rest of the movie is, Feels too. like that's describing yeah. Fitzcarraldo as well. Um, we'll go with Mike here on the... Should have even been considered. Amazing Grace on the bagpipes. Captain Kirk's funeral. No, no. Spock's funeral. I'm sorry. Spock's funeral, Spock's yeah. Spock's funeral. No. One, I mean, everybody knows I'm a bagpipe apologist. I will try to vote yes for bagpipes any chance I get. But it, sacks of all kinds, really. I felt I love sacks. I love squeezing tubes. them. <laughs> and when they're put together, come on. <laughs> it's a pneumatic tube sack that makes music. What about like pool noodles? If you hit uh, a pool noodle right at the right motherfucker, angle, motherfucker, you know I love it. The, the the weird ribbed plastic things that go. Whoa, 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 oh whoa, whoa, hell whoa, yeah, whoa. dude! That, no. that existed a lot more in our youth than it does. Oh now. yeah, well, because like, they got like apps. Uh, <laughs> no I've, kid's gonna want to swing a tube around when you look at a phone. <laughs> Give me the fucking. <laughs> um. That's fine, Mike. I don't felt, e- you don't have to think about stuff. <laughs> I felt nothing with the bagpipe, with the Amazing Grace. One, I think it's a hack song to play at anybody's funeral, and uh, I have I have to agree with that. I'm a little tired of Amazing Grace. Like when, I, when I'm not at sure a real I funeral, they start to play. I go. Yeah. Why not find Space Jeff Buckley so he can sing Space Hallelujah? Like, what are we doing here with the bagpipe accompaniment? I just love how well Scotty is on board. He has to have bagpipes, right? Like, look at him. Listen to him talk. Go get your bagpipes, and, Scotty. Like, they ruined... I don't know if, it's, if musically this matters, but they ruined that scene, all of the importance of that scene. You know in two minutes you're about to see Come Back Next Time yeah. for the return of Spock. It's not even like Come Back Next Time where like we'll know like what happened to Spock. Like, obviously, he's still alive. The other thing, too, is that it shows an outside shot of the spaceship, and they shoot the coffin out. That's going to look like... A spaceship pooping like <laughs> that steals so much greg your first nominee actual nominee for musical moment is the finale of victor victoria where robert preston wears actually puts the dress on again it is my understanding that this movie is not a celebration of good entertainment but instead it's a celebration of bad entertainment so when you look through the songs victor victoria should dominate musical moments but honestly, there's a lot more woof yeah. Like yeah. in these musical numbers. But this is the one where they're like, no, obviously this sounds like I this think sounds kind of bad. We talked how Blake Edwards is not good at shooting musical numbers, uh-huh. right? Like he's no Busby Berkeley. But we say that all the time. <laughs> we constantly are saying that. But it is like the celebration of bad entertainment. Is he saying, I want to make an old school movie? Or is he saying, why did they film for so long these <laughs> musical numbers like why back in the day did they do that this is one though that is memorable unlike a lot of the other ones which i forgot and, yeah i don't know fuck the director for this part of the movie it's have it still be robert preston's humor there and it's so funny but also meaningful because he finally is for us allowed to be the star and he owns it and it's goofy but it's sentimental yeah. like, i know that's what was awesome is that while victor i'm sorry victoria found like her truth offstage mm-hmm. Robert Preston found it on right. and that's what happened in this scene and like he doesn't look feminine in that dress but you see that dress he's actually in really good shape mm-hmm. like this for for the movie being sort of like well here's this older guy reflecting on all of it actually he still looks pretty good next nominee Greg is that the scene that you thought we were talking about the helicopter flying around showing oh, that yeah. Fitz did get to play the opera to the natives yeah and again I like you know it was a cool scene, um, but ultimately you're just you're left picturing the same thing, which is that like you know, do, you ask yourself, is this the triumph? Did he do it? Does this count as doing it, or is he telling himself 
that he did it. He's definitely telling himself. And again, it's the moving of the goalposts is so funny that even in his failure to do it, but he's going to tell himself he did it. He's sitting behind the performance. Yeah. He can't even get a good seat on the thing he decided he's <laughs> winning. It's, it's just hilarious. So it's so hard to like watch a movie about Trump and root for Trump. You know, <laughs> like it's so hard. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that Herzog in some way is saying feel good for him now, but also rethink literally every story you've ever heard. Yeah. And what that hero did to get that triumph. Uh, Greg, again, it's Gay Paris by Robert Preston. I really like this one because... the first time we meet him? No, I mean, not uh, first time we see him perform. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's... I really... This is one of the music numbers I like because it's like very lounge singer and like making little jokes while he does it. And I think that um, the way it engages with like, you know, homosexuality as a topic is very good. It does... This is a this is one of a couple times where um, in the movie they're like, okay, now I'm gonna tap dance, and rather than see the <laughs> the feet of the person tap dancing, he very clearly just like when someone pretends to play piano in a movie, like he kind of like go, moves his feet, and it's then like, you would just hear like tap a tap a tap a tap. It's like watching Muppets perform. <laughs> yes, yeah, and I can't believe they double dip on that later. Yes, they. Both he and Juliet Andrews pretend to do a little tap dancing. It, Why? I, you decide if there's tap dancing or not. If you just, if your if your actors can't do it, then just write it out swaying? of the script. I don't know. If you don't want to have Victoria become Victor, just call it Victoria. Like, what are we <laughs> doing here? Uh, the other thing I love too is that he goes around and just roasts every yeah. table. But in true French style, they're like, I'm sorry, what the fuck did you just say to me? And they get in a fight. It's so, throughout, the watching this movie, while watching it, I kept being like, because I guess I like bad entertainment. I was like, I wish this still existed. And then think about it afterward. I was like, this, all of this exists is the, this is skillful, but not, this is funny and mean. Uh-huh. Uh, it's just drag. Yeah. And that's what all of this has turned into is drag shows. And really. It's not like you're writing a Meredith Brooks song. Everybody. <laughs> um, funny, but I'm mean. Was that Atlantis? <laughs> uh, <laughs> it. Go to more drag shows, folks. They're the best. Mike, the next one. You have mentioned this week or last week how many constant montages Fast Times have. Yes. But there's a, I think the most famous is the opening uh, Gotta Be Somebody's Baby. Yeah, a song that's always stuck in my head now because of this movie. Uh, and also, do you want in very quick vignettes to get to know each of the personalities of all of our characters? Here you go. Uh, it's infuriating just based on this opening that Amir Heckerling isn't a bigger household name. Yeah, I mean, we know why, right? Her name's Amy. Like, yeah. That sucks, but... Because uh, I was heckling people? Yeah, I, I I love the... Even though it goes on for a little longer than you would think. Oh, it's shockingly long. It's still incredibly efficient. And uh, it doesn't just give you the entire character. One of my favorite pieces of filmed art of all time is the intro to Freaks and Geeks mm-hmm. because they're just sitting down to get their picture taken. Oh, yeah. But just yeah. based on how they smile, you know literally everything about that character. And I think that... Like, there wouldn't be Freaks and Geeks if it wasn't uh, for this montage. Uh, so that. smart. <laughs> Thank you very much. Mike, one final nominee. It's You and Me from Victor Victoria, and this is Preston and Julie Andrews. Oh, I thought you were saying at the time You and Me sang. We, that didn't... <laughs> get recorded on the victor victoria episode no this is where the audience and i mean us the real life audience is already in love with them and now we get to watch the movie audience fall in love with them as they improv their friendship in front of people and isn't that the dream podcasters (laughs) uh and it's they're both so charming and talented and and just enthralling to watch even as they fake tap dance and do nothing (laughs) They did nothing. <laughs> Your nominees for Best Musical Moment are the Victor Victoria finale, the Fitz plays the opera at the 
And Gay Paris by Robert Preston, Somebody's Baby from Fast Times, and You and Me from Victor Victoria. And whoever wins. Oh, Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. Terry Gar. Terry Gar. <laughs> it is the finale of Victor Victoria. Good job, Robert. Yeah. I, I think that's a good choice. That, that's like, it's not surprising, but it's like, oh, very cool. And he took a really hard fall at the end of that. And, and so he was old. I'm glad for him, yeah. And two nominee or two wins for Robert Preston tonight. He That's won on screen duo. Yeah. I think every time Preston is nominated, he's gonna win. And I kind of feel like after listening to our Victor Victoria episode, when Robert Preston wasn't on screen, the three of us were a little bit bored. You know, even though he's like Who am I supposed to be in this? <laughs> There's not a fat old queen on stage. <laughs> Who do I care about now? King Marchand? No, I don't identify with that person. <laughs> he's handsome and powerful. Yeah. Congrats <laughs> to Bobby P. Uh when we come back. We're going to take three down to two. Hey, guys, thank you so much for listening so far. And let me just tell you that everything ahead of this commercial is much better than what came before it. That's my guarantee. While I have you here, let me tell you about a website. It's called yourpopfilter.com. And it's everything you need that's related to pop filter. Everything Mike, everything Ryan, everything Greg, everything Cassie, everything is there at yourpopfilter.com. While you're there, go to yourpotfilter.com slash Amazon. Make that your new Amazon bookmark and do your shopping from there. That way we get a little piece of the action and Amazon doesn't. Make sure you're also listening to everything that Pop Filter has to offer, which includes the Superhero Show Show, a podcast that covers every single TV show that's based on a comic book or comic book property, and Movie of the Year where we sit down and try and figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. That's Superhero Show Show. That's Movie of the Year. And that's YourPopFilter.com. Rate, subscribe, review, bye! When we talked about 48 Hours versus The Thing, we were like, these are two genre changers. I feel like we have that same thing right now with The Thing versus E.T. Um... I guess uh, three makes sense, right? Like right now in the bracket, we have Blade Runner, E.T. and The Thing. That feels right. That is very 80s. Why don't we stop right now is where, where I'm at. Where they all win? They, they all, all share win. a crown? Yeah. You know, sometimes um, like uh, artists will start with the same sort of like prompt uh-huh. and then go in like very different directions with it. Um, and like that's Frank, part of how Frankenstein was written, like three artists together, like coming up with an idea and then going in different directions to write about it. It feels like on some level, these are kind of an alien comes to earth and he's like nothing anyone's ever seen before. And it changes everything for everybody. It feels like kind of like the really same, is. but then uh, very quickly, obviously it's a different genres goes in totally different directions, but like you can see the hopes and fears of this country in 1982 depicted in these two stories, which kind of have the same germ. And, and one John Carpenter saw at our weakest, we are Craven. We are callow. Everybody At our weakest, will. we are Wes Craven. <laughs> Every, we are, yeah, it was a real diss to Wes Craven. I mean, he said his name in the quote. <laughs> and and then in Spielberg, Spielberg's E.T., the extraterrestrial, which is how I always dub it, uh, he's like, no, it's all about connection and hope, even when things seem dark. And is it, because they're both amazing bouts of filmmaking and effects, is, it, is your vote going to go, because this is how you view the world? It's not about how you view the world. It's about how you present your worldview. That's sort of where I, like, I don't care what your worldview is. Just tell me it in a clear way. Mm. And 
talking about E.T. versus Poltergeist, Poltergeist, to me, was a series of set pieces and a ton of ideas. Mm -hmm. The Thing is a classic movie. But when I compare it to E.T., it feels more like Poltergeist. You're insane. I feel like The Thing then becomes, in my mind, a series of set pieces and ideas. It is a crystal clear worldview. I, I just I don't I don't think it flows as well. I think that it's super lumpy and it has its ups and downs and I think that it cares less about its downs. I think that's because you are hopeful and naive. <laughs> just like E.T. It's like the nicest thing you've ever said to me. I, I think that uh it owns that. Or I think it tries to own that. And whether it successfully does or not. Like at the end of the day, and I know John Carpenter wouldn't want to be asked this question because he does not like to be asked any no. direct questions about... <laughs> He'll just sit let down me play my video games. Yeah. So <laughs> He'll sit down to interviews and be like, what the fuck did you just ask me? Yeah. Your name, sir. <laughs> but I have to say, I suspect strongly that there is nobody who knows what, exactly what's going on in the thing because it was never decided. Like, there's, you can't look at the light in people's eyes and right. decide. You but can't, I think that's not... a strength of the movie. You don't even think you don't think that at the end of the day the artist should know what takes place in the art and then portray it from that perspective. I, I think if the point of the movie is paranoia, then no. I think this and it works, is right. Yeah, uh, that nobody knows because it at the end of the day in this scenario it does not matter. I think a lot. Then of why humans does the movie take so much? And a lot of things. Were I mean, killed. Faulkner came in to rewrite was it the Big Sleep, the Humphrey Bogart movie, and they asked him who like who was who responsible and. He's like, I don't fucking know. I don't <laughs> like it's, that's not the point. I don't fucking care. It's the oldest daughter, right? She I don't remember. She, <laughs> she was the biggest napper. But uh you know, I think the thing is definitely the cooler movie. For me, it's the newer movie, and so I'm a little more excited by it. What gives it a real puncher's chance for me is I think that not fully understanding whether or not John Carpenter has to know not understanding what's going on is just intriguing. Mm. You know, you watch that movie and you don't know exactly what has happened. And I think that makes you maybe have more questions than E.T. I still, like, I get that, but I still fall back to as great as it is, it falls back on we have to have these set pieces and they have to come at a certain time. And, like, I'm... I'm redefining the genre in the background, but I I don't know how to redefine it in the foreground. Yeah. And whereas E.T. says, this will be as good as Casablanca, I don't fucking care, and nails it. But also, think- like, the thing is about paranoia, E.T. is about a hundred things. The thing seems very primarily about mm. paranoia at, 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 like, the center, and not as much of a three-dimensional experience as E.T. That's, that's yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying, is that the thing had so many cool aspects, whereas E.T. was overwhelming. I think E.T. is also, and this isn't a dig, they're both about the set pieces. It's just one, I, and it, maybe this is arguing for you guys, is that E.T.'s, some of the set pieces are like, here's the heart set piece, here's the terror set piece. Fuck you guys, you're talking me into, into talking myself into E.T. That's a... Uh, my Chemical Romance song? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Uh, do you guys want to debate anymore, or should we just fucking pull this plug? I think I'm ready. Mike, we'll start with you. I think E.T., I was coming at it mostly remembering Mac and me, <laughs> and really only remembering the big hits, and so watching it... The part from Mac and me where he pushes he the... Yeah. 
<laughs> uh, watching it, I was surprised by that it is more than the big hits. It's more than just E.T. on the moon. There, there, there's so much interesting and things non. And the thing, I only saw it for the first time a year ago, and it had the stacks of people being like, you got to watch the thing. And so, but I'm going to vote for the thing. Greg? <laughs> you really went all around on that one. Um I when I was a kid, I think I thought that the point of ET was that like the government is these faceless people who we always have to worry about, and I uh, that is like the paranoia message mm-hmm. of of the thing. But ET is really about the fact that like even in an organization where we're faceless, there are still people who like have this glimmer of hope in them. And I don't want to say that in my vote I'm choosing hope, but hey, Obama, I feel like. No, but you are being a real Obama right now. Just, well, uh, I feel like I am more interested in the worldview of E.T. I'm more, um, there's maybe more going on in it ultimately. It's maybe more of a, of a three-dimensional space. It talks more about the 80s by opening up the conversation in other avenues than just the fact that like we, it was a very paranoid time. It's not easy for me. It's not, this is by no means a slam dunk, but... I'm definitely going with E.T. It's an absolute slam dunk for me. Uh, and it, again, going back to Poltergeist, uh, the thing is so much better than Poltergeist in every way. Like, I think that it's better at storytelling. It's better at, like, focusing... The effects are so effects, much better. Yeah. Sure, but, like, focusing its ideas into one coherent thing instead of being like, there's an idea, there's an idea. What, do you want more ideas? Here's another one. Um, I think that the thing dominates Poltergeist. But E.T. is, like... Uh, one of the most focused, like I, here is exactly the tone and the worldview that I want to set out and make. And it's not, like, I get the hope part, but the fact that it's a family movie or that it's a sci-fi movie mm-hmm. is completely beside the point to me. Like this is to me, one of the perfect movies of all time, like uh, top 10, because Everything that it sets out to do, it just it, it 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 disregards all of that genre stuff and just says, no, we have to we have to tell this particular story. And I think that it stands. I know that I'm gonna get second place, just like I did with Jaws, because Dog Day Afternoon won, but Jaws and ET stand together. As in, uh, we have this sort of science fictiony thing, but really, what we're talking about is what does family mean? What is found family? And is your new creature, shark or alien, a part of your found family? Or will your found family bond together against that? I do wish they had gone with the director's cut of Jaws, where the sheriff and the shark just flew over the moon together. Do you wish there was a sequel where it was Jaws versus E.T. and the tagline was, (laughs) no matter who wins, E.T. loses? (laughs) (laughs) No matter who wins, we all win. But yeah, it's absolutely E.T. I'm tearing up right now just talking about it. I I fucking love E.T. You're also cutting onions. That's true. And I need to sharpen my knife. Is that how you do it? I th- I've heard that. Or wear goggles or chew gum. There's so many ways to chop onions. Uh, E.T. is going to move on to fight Blade Runner. But when we come back, more Moody's. Hola, Felterinos. I just wanted to interrupt real briefly and say thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. If you want to support us a little more directly, you can go to patreon.com slash yourpopfilter. There, depending on what tier you pick, $1 a month, $5 a month. If you're crazy, anything more than $5 a month, don't do that. You can get extra content. There's extra shows, extra series, uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, You could pay for Ryan to draw you a picture. Uh, I can write you a poem. You can get the shirts off our very own backs. All of that and so much more over at patreon.com slash yourpopfilter. 
While you're on the internet, you should check out Shady Monk. He does all the tunes you've been listening to. He's on Bandcamp, he's on Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, wherever kids get their music these days that I'm too old to know. Shady Monk lives there. Uh, you can probably follow him on Twitter and Instagram as well. That's Shady Monk. Wherever you get music, check him out. <laughs> all right, gentlemen. The two biggest awards. Well, three, I guess, because Picture of the Year is Does going that to be the best. Matter? I said picture. Yeah. You guys like flick? Picture. Flick of the year. I like motion picture. Cinema. Mike, not nominated. Kurt Russell from your beloved The Thing. Oh, wow. Not? Not nominated. Not nominated because he's too pretty. Not even his hair? Greg shouldn't have been considered. Craig T. Nelson, Poltergeist is really getting punched over here. Yeah. You know, I feel like the show about Poltergeist, we were like, this is a pretty fun. This is a cool movie. Is you know. Uh, but then tonight, it's just been like all that's gone right out the window. Context matters. A poltergeist in its own show against itself, it's pretty good. Against any of the other movies we've had to talk about yeah. or think about tonight, no. Compared to the other movies, it's kind of a turkey, which is why I call it Poultrygeist. Poultrygeist? Poultrygeist. Uh, Greg. I get it. Your first nominee for Best Actor is one Sir Benjamin Kingsley from the movie Gandhi. Yeah, uh, you know, it felt like it would be wrong to not recognize what a great performance this is mm-hmm. uh the movie left us a little cold i think me less than the than the two of you but um it's not ben kingsley's fault uh it's his performance is the most complicated part of the movie it's the most interesting part of the movie um it's the directing and the the screenwriting that really kind of falls flat in Plus, this movie like uh, the directing was flat but also the directing was uh, not complicated. Yeah. Like we d- we're not going to tackle all the stuff. You're never going to blame the actor for the director and the writer producers not getting into all of the weird mm-hmm. Gandhi's. Like yeah. you're still going to be like, but Ben King- Kingsley rules, right? What I really appreciate it uh, about this performance versus every other Oscar bait movie that came after this that was clearly trying to re Gandhi it uh, is how big those actors would yeah. get. Yeah. To, to never be like, and now I give a big Gandhi speech. There's one scene where he chews it, and that's when he like demands that his wife cleans the toilets. Yeah, like, that is weird. the biggest he gets, really. Yeah, we've because, all been there. And because I guess he really does a good job of embodying that spirit of Gandhi, which is just like he was not that blown away by himself. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. he just, he's like, well, I'm whatever. That's okay. I shit just like anybody else, one leg at a time. And I make my wife clean it up. <laughs> Mike, the next nominee is Klaus Kinski, the Fitzcarraldo. Those eyes. Those yeah, buggy-eyed German eyes. To, to, to be, as Ryan, you said earlier, so Trumpian. Or not to be. Uh, that is the question <laughs> Klaus made us ask. Uh, to be so Trumpian and yet still so sympathetic in the year 2022. Uh, Just have crazy hair. I think that's yeah, the thing it's that mostly the weird-ass fucking hair. I love that he's like, who did I cast as a weird vampire guy again? Oh, yeah, that'll be the guy for this one. Klaus. He he is he is pathetic. He is grandiose, and you you love to hate him and hate to love him all at once. We've been talking about how it's not just about the money; it's about the cool. And there's multiple times where he like gets anxious, gets nervous that the people on his boat don't find him cool, <laughs> and he like he yeah. wander over and be like, "You guys think I'm cool, I, right?" I know you're gonna do what I say no matter what, but you like that though right yeah i mean that you know that's like he wants to be at the center of everything and he wants to feel like really respected even if the people he's asking to respect him are all like getting ready to steal his boat (laughs) what about the fact that his first name is fitzgeraldo weird i have no comment about that his name is fitzgeraldo fitzgeraldo greg 
It's Mike's turn. Uh, <laughs> Good to know. Good to Greg, know. I need you to know that. <laughs> Mike, the next nominee for Best Actor of the Year is Eddie Murphy from 48 Hours. I mean, there's a reason he was in the Best Comedic Performances. That is a performance. And he but is couldn't an you actor. see him get nominated for Comedic Performance and not this? Well, we're not the Oscars, Ryan. <laughs> Except we're the, the performance is more than just the, the comedy oh, aspect fun. of it. I mean, because like, okay... Is it funny, that scene in the bar where he pretends to be the cop? It's kind of notionally humorous, mm-hmm. but that's not what's making that scene that, And that go. is the scene to point at, I yeah. think, because how you can see the character hiding how fucking scared he is. And that yeah. I have to keep hitting the gas because that's the only way to get out of this bar possibly alive. I mean, the fact that he puts on a cowboy hat is not just making fun of hillbillies, but we're looking at John Wayne, Gary Cooper, Robert Mitchum level confidence as far as an actor goes. Mm-hmm. Eddie Murphy. Greg, the next nominee is Paul Newman from. Have we mentioned this movie at all? We have not oh, said it one did time. Watch this movie? It's from the verdict. This, you know, you know, Paul Newman is a name that's bigger than uh, dressings. Um, but, <laughs> and I have seen him in a few movies. This is his piece de resistance, though. I mean, this is such a delicate, interesting, layered performance, and the verdict doesn't attempt to be everything. Um, and instead, it's this this one kind of shattered guy who is maybe not for e- the best interest of anybody trying to like reclaim the dignity of his soul by winning this one last case. And all those layers you see in Paul Newman, he's so pathetic and yet so grandiose, depending on what, like what scene it is. Like a Fitzgeraldo. And the thing is, too, with the verdict, the Jonathan verdict, is that when you look at butch cassidy or um the guy from the sting or cool hand luke is that they're losers and we see them put on the makeup or do whatever right before they go in to show off how they're paul newman there's not any of that like uh haha hollywood in this movie but he's still like he we we're gonna see him as a loser and we're also gonna believe when people are like that's fucking paul newman well even well he's very handsome and even in his big speeches, he kind of sucks at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, it, did we say on the verdict show that this is his Unforgiven? Like, it feels like that. I, I think that you should say right now, there would be no Unforgiven. I'm going to say that the there verdict. would be no Unforgiven without the verdict. It really feels like an actor of of a certain age and of note tackling their entire career in a Well, role. like uh, when we were talking about Robert Preston and how audiences love them playing themselves. Right. Right. But like in this meadow way. Yes. I can see that too of like, he wasn't... Out, he wasn't cast out of Hollywood, but his heyday was over-ish. And to play this person, like, well, I still got to do whatever it takes to entertain people in a legal sense, but also in a movie-watching sense. Mm-hmm. Greg, your final nominee is Jurgen Prochnow from Das Boot. This is the captain. This is the captain speaking. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of really good He's performances. The captain now, Captain Phillips, Tom Hanks in this movie. Um, but he the responsibility that he bears the like you can see so often he understands the injustice of what he's a part of and yet in the mo- he'll have this moment where it's like you feel him contemplating the fact that he shouldn't be doing this and then they'll be like we saw a boat and like in the next second you see him just like turn into the wolf kill and the it's boat. just like yeah <laughs> we'll we'll go up and kill them and then it's like yeah but you know then he, it gets quiet again and he has these moments where you can see he doubts and but much like Fitzcarraldo, much like uh, Victoria and Robert Preston, much like Paul Newman, a lot of these people, they're not that good at their job. 
You know, and like we see that, like dealing with it's not superheroes because he's too aggressive, and that's the weird right. thing because he seems like such a humanist, but his his fault is he's too aggressive, and he's counting on uh, calamities to yeah. like cover up, like oh no, we have to go deal with this, so no one let's have nobody look at me and how bad of a job I'm doing. And I, he's such an interesting aspect of the the submarine culture because the subculture, oh, the subculture, <laughs> I was right there, I couldn't say it. Uh, he, they're all punk rock, but in the army, like that's how they act throughout all of it. They're like, Psh, whatever, we're not gonna do what you want. And he is too human for all of it, but then he hits the gas and is too monstrous yeah. for the army. Like he is the older version of what all the younger sub guys think they are. It's another interesting part of the movie is that we we meet a diverse cast of characters that all have their like foibles, but what he does is sort of ignore them. Like I'm gonna see you guys as all the basic. Right, sailors that I need to see you as, and I'm just sort of going to ignore that. The person I'm going to focus on is the person who's taking pictures and tell my story, and I'm going to make sure that he tells the story that I want him to tell. Which While that's Captain as fuck. Every stand- chance to get. Your nominees for Best Actor are Ben Kingsley from Gandhi, Klaus Kinski from Fitzcarraldo, Eddie Murphy from 48 Hours, Paul Newman from The Verdict, and Jurgen Prokow from Das Boot. Oh, you're going to hear the winner the in envelope. just a second. The PA took a minute to get it to us. Fucking Pennsylvania. All right. And the winner is Paul Newman from The Verdict. I, I stand by that. That's a good one. Had to be. I, it, it's the one mention The Verdict was going to get. And deserve. This isn't this isn't a gimme. Uh, Paul Newman crushes, man. It's not just about the Caesar. But I think that this came down to Ben Kingsley versus Paul Newman. Yeah. In that who stole that, like elevated that movie more. And, and then the, I, I have to say the movie's kind of helped determine it for me yeah. anyway yeah. like like it, it's it's a it's like an, i don't know the like of a mvp discussion but like he's the mvp on a winning team you know right, so exactly. like, <laughs> so ben kingsley like barely got a shitty team to the playoffs yeah and paul newman ruled uh <laughs> let's go to best actress mike should have even been considered it's joe beth williams because she was in poltergeist no. Okay, let's move on. Uh, we don't respect the flat ass. Okay, but one of the early weed moms. Yeah, like, true. Which we is way that. ahead of weed mom culture. So we have two weed icons, and it's Spicoli and yeah. Joe Beth Williams. Uh, Greg, the first nominee is Julie Andrews, Mary Poppins from Victor Victoria. Yeah, she's so fun in this, and uh, I think she got to have a lot of fun with the role and not being quite the prim, not totally not being that either. But you know, man, it, like contemplating selling her virtue for a meatball. Like but, when she pops out of that closet and punches a guy in the face. It's like Mary Poppins. Did you do that? <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, again somebody playing with their reputation. This might be her Unforgiven. Has anybody said that before? <laughs> I didn't even think about the fact that Sound of Music and Music Man were Sound in the, the same music movie. Man. Wow. But I do think like I don't. I'm not a smart man, and I don't know what talent is. But like Mary Poppins and Maria don't show a lot of nuance and humanity in those movies. And they, I'm sure they she sing real good. Girls. They sing real good. But she is a living human person trying to get by in this world. Even if it's cartoonish, sometimes you believe that she feels human feelings. Yeah, she's, beg- she's begging, borrowing, and stealing. I and mean, I hate to interrupt, but Greg, if Mike's hand touches the table again, can you please stop that? I know he started down. doing that pretty, pretty <laughs> hardcore. I'm doing it mockingly. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mike, go ahead. Uh, she's real good. Uh, we always say that uh, to be a, the best actor, you should be doing two things at once, and she was Victor and Victoria. Yeah, they That's count t- those both things. Uh, Mike, the next nominee is not Best Supporting Actress. It's Best Actress Jessica Lange oh, from Tootsie. Oh, that Tetsi. makes sense. Oh, because they, 
erroneously. Erroneously. I would put say her erroneously. For bed, and she's clearly the lead. Um, this is one of those names I've heard my whole life, and I don't know if I've seen her in anything. And now I'm mad at myself and mad at the world. She, again, to, to echo the thing we've said throughout both shows, uh, I don't know if the role Lang has in Tootsie offers that much. And, and she fills it with humanity. I think this, the secret is, does she fall in love with Michael when Michael is dressed as Dorothy? Which I say is totally yes. Yes. I and then is like, we can't be bros anymore because I'm in love with you. Right. And then that's what sort of helps you come to terms with the quick ending of, hey, you're Dustin Hoffman, I'm Jessica Lang. Let's be together. Yeah. We're just together. But also, I think is complicated, and this is in the performances of the movie. Is it's just a two block walk they're taking. Who yeah. knows if they end up together? <laughs> Tootsie do they break up immediately? <laughs> they're like, oh wait, fuck you, you lying weirdo. He goes back and tries to make it make it work. Terry Gar, but they're still kind of <laughs> like, why are we doing this? Mike, your next nominee for best actress, by the way, not nominated for an Oscar, is Jennifer Jason Lee from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Not nominated for an Oscar. No- this is this introducing Jennifer Jason Lee. I have to assume. The and it feels like a forgettable role. It's not fully ingenue. It's it's not showy, but and also is she kind of the Seinfeld of the movie in that the outside characters yeah. will be wacky and funny, and they're all like, "I do this." They each have their one thing, and right. she's like, "I guess I do everything." <laughs> like she she is so sad at times and so funny at times, and and more worldly than everybody but not because she's lying but because she listens to everybody who's around her so she actually learns and is like wait this is what life is actually about that's a good point like the camera really does stay on her it's her face watching other like watching her watch other people because she's the freshman you know everybody allegedly knows more Mm -hmm. and she has to learn in this movie that i guess they know more oh wait they fucking don't know more greg the next nominee for Best Actress is Shelley Long from Night Shift. Yeah, just a, f- a fun performance, uh, a lot of humor. I ultimately, Night Shift eschews most of the drama, and so this was like just based on the humorous performance, but would I you, think it's among her best. Would you uh, pull the Jessica Lane card and say that maybe this was more of Best Supporting? Yeah, this to this feels like a, more of a, of a supporting role. I don't know, you know... I. I I think that she did the best she could with the character. Ultimately, the like prostitute in like seeking out a pimp just feels like such a weird, unrealistic role. I need somebody to take my money. Yeah, you know, it, it's like it, it seems to really misapprehend what that the nature of that relationship is. But you know, what she is asked to do, she does it, and I think she does it better than she's done it in any other role. And then, Greg, the final nominee is Charlotte Rampling from The Verdict. Could The Verdict go two for two right here? I think it could. Uh, man, I don't know what's up with this character uh, Like, who is trying to reclaim her old life by betraying somebody that she's just met, by maybe Shelley Long style prostituting herself kind of to do it. Uh, she, I mean, I feel like... Maybe her, they fucked. The, the difference between her and Shelley yeah. Long is semantics, right? Well, ultimately, I think the movie is like how much is she betraying this guy and how much does she actually, I mean, she's betraying him fully, but how much is she doing him just because that's part of the job and how much is she really drawn she falls to him? For him? Yeah. So well, it's very complicated. She does fall for him, but also it's like, um, it's the same power play that a lot of our characters have made. Like yeah. I want power. This is how I'm going to get it. You know, it's like the same, like, uh, I just, I want the, I want to be on top. And I feel like we see all that brew 
behind the scenes in her eyes Such every scene. Eyes. Yeah, and so it's like she's not. When you first watch it, you have no idea what's yeah, going that's on. The thing. You, that's a second viewing because yeah. the first viewing, she's got the that like British like. I'm gonna like n- my pulse is never I gonna see. move from me. Yeah, that like you like when she, it's revealed that she was a villain, like she's in like some sort of spy trader ring, uh, completely off guard. Yeah, that's one of the bigger twists in any of the movies that we saw this season. And it's like at first you're like, am I not understanding <laughs> what's going on here? But when you rewatch the movie, as you pointed out, you see, you can see in her face from the first time she meets him that she's almost immediately torn by what she's doing. She's seeking out to destroy the yeah. last of somebody's basically already destroyed life. It also shows that Frank? Yeah. Frank is, uh, she sees right away that Frank is as smart as he thinks he is. And he is smart. Also dumb as fuck. Yeah. Like, yeah. he's so dumb. I can I, I can manipulate manipulate this guy no problem. Well, he can control everybody but himself. Right. And if you can control everybody but yourself, that's not that much better. Right. Because, you, like, if all you want to do is drink and play pinball all day. Hell yeah. The life of a king. <laughs> and a couple of eggs. Just a couple of morning eggs. A couple eggs. eggs before you go to your important meeting, because you'll sober up on the way over there. Which he was late for, but he, he did put that quarter in the pinball machine, <laughs> so... All right, gentlemen, your nominees for Best Actress are Julie Andrews from Victor Victoria, Jessica Lange from Tootsie, Jennifer Jason Leigh from Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Shelley Long from Night Shift, and Charlotte Rampling from The Verdict. This envelope Mike, was licked. Here's the envelope. It was licked shut. And now you've touched it. Somebody's spittle is all over my On hands. your hands. The winner is Jennifer Jason Leigh from oh, Fast fun. Times at Ridgemont High. Is Folks, it, go watch Atypical because she's still doing amazing work. It's crazy, number one, because it's not Terry Gower, but two, because <laughs> she is a teen in a comedy. Like Most people wouldn't give her awards, but we did. We're woke AF. All right, we're going to take one last break, and when we come back, the greatest movie of 1982. <laughs> Gentlemen, it comes down to this. Who saw this coming? Your number one seed is Blade Runner. Your number three seed is E.T. The seed... In between them, number two is the thing that has been booted out. Wow. Makes you think. But I I, I have a feeling that all three of us saw this coming. Um, what I want to know is, did you have a preference coming in? Has that preference changed at all? Is this a slam Is this a slam dunk to anybody? Let's go, let's go right there. No. No. It's definitely not a slam dunk. It. I think ultimately I'm still breaking along the preference that I had coming into the season. I mean, we all sort of foresaw that this would be the the matchup that it would come down to. Um, it got a lot closer than I thought it would uh, for me personally. But ultimately, I don't think a season's worth of watching all these movies has actually changed my perspective on it. I think the gap between the two has closed, but I, I think I still keep the, the same answer. I came in down on both of them. Uh, you came in with one hand that said Blade Runner, and your thumb was down. Uh-huh. And the other hand said E.T., and your other thumb was right. down. Uh, my goal was just that it would not be these two against <laughs> yeah. each other. You're such a little Loki. Loki, you're Loki. watched both of them and went, I was an idiot. These are phenomenal films with a lot to say and do. Uh, I still do not know what's going to happen. Somebody should convince me. I think that there are elements of Blade <laughs> Runner that are ultimately harder to access and therefore more rewarding to consider. I think that ultimately E.T. is almost a perfect movie. I think where it potentially falls down a little bit is that Spielberg went out to say something and he made sure he said it and he did. 
And I think Blade Runner explores something a little bit more than it does say something. That it 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 opens up a lot of boxes and then and then sort of sets them down and it we make connections and we don't understand at the end of the day exactly what is going on and exactly what has happened. But it has left us with the questions and it's those questions that become our deep and abiding connection to the movie. Okay, I totally get that and agree with you. But here's the difference to me is that Ridley Scott is outwardly curious and Steven Spielberg, I think sometimes despite himself, is inwardly curious. And so Ridley Scott will ask all these questions but has so many questions that the movies don't really come together. And I think that Blade Runner uh, just offers up all this stuff and leaves a lot of it for you to put together because Ridley Scott is an artist, but also sometimes because he gets a little bit sloppy. Yeah. And Steven Spielberg, despite himself, can't fucking help but explore inwardly his past, his present, and his future. And so that's why we are always getting these, I just want to make an alien movie, baby. Mm-hmm. I made Close Encounters. That was good, I guess. This is my Steven Spielberg impression. Yeah, yeah it's uh, perfect. Now, now I'm making E.T. It's like an alien movie, but it's different than that. And inst- uh, all you want to do is make an alien movie. Instead, we are dis- dissecting everything about Spielberg. And I don't want to dissect Spielberg. I want to dissect... E.T. <laughs> you monster. <laughs> Get that on the table. That science, that, teacher, potato. that science teacher was about those frogs. Yeah. No, it should have been about that fucking brown Dry nut sack. sack. <laughs> Dry nut sack. There it is. Is that 20? It's 20. Um, and the like, balloon's he, falling down. You can't help but do it. But like living in the suburbs, uh, broken families... Our family's broken, literally, when they're quote unquote broken. You know, like it's almost it- like ET went after every other movie in the bracket and tried to do better. <laughs> like, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think it's also in, and I guess we approach movies different than other art. Man, we're a fucking pretentious show. Uh, in that Steven Spielberg went out to make a movie and said, "I have the answers to my questions," and so he's saying, "Humanity is this." And Ridley Scott is saying, I have questions. Humanity? And which one are you going to gnaw on more? But see, I disagree with that premise because I think that Steven Spielberg uh, has all these questions and sort of he, he he doesn't... I don't know if he fully recognizes that he's asking all these questions. Mm. He just has to. Like, there's this thing in him that has to ask these questions. And they're all questions that we have. Ridley Scott's questions about, like, uh, what are buildings? Neon lights? Cool. Those like those aren't questions that we all have, but Spielberg's questions are questions that we all have. I I have to tell you, your tone will not sway me here. You <laughs> I, fucking I, charlatan. The second I said it, I was like, "Come on, man, you don't hate Blade Runner." I mean, <laughs> I, I feel bad. I I think that the questions it asks about like existence and what does it mean to be human? Yeah, what does it mean to be human? And like, what happens to our experiences when we pass and everything? And that sort of like hyperfixation on mortality. Um, I, I, I think that he is asking some of the biggest philosophical questions out there. Sometimes I wonder, is Spielberg too good at, at filmic language? I sometimes think that like we watch these Spielberg movies and he cannot help but totally explain to you what is going on just the using camera. the cameras. Yeah. That sometimes it's almost like, okay, you're so good at that, but could you give us less just so that we can knit our impression of the movie into I, I totally the fabric of it? I don't think that there's anybody at 
better at placing the camera. I think that there's nobody better at like. And in this movie, scene, like, he is specifically it, really very good at. This it. might be his peak. Like we mentioned, Jurassic Park last week uh-huh. about CGI, CGI and practical effects. But this might be his peak as just a fucking filmmaker. But you know, as, I think as a director, he's unimpeachable. In impeach, you know what I'm trying to say. It's the writing, like stuff feels too pat, and it's the doctor and Elliot are the same, and doesn't feel like whoa, that's magical. It's like, all right, bro, this is your new father figure, and he's you, I guess. Before I watched it this time, I remembered Peter Coyote being a major part of this Uh movie. Yeah, this time he's barely in it, and it's all about the ET Elliot relationship. Yeah. Elliot starts with an E, ends with a T. Uh oh, hang on. We're all aliens. I we are all aliens though. Um, th- yeah. like the Peter Coyote person was something that scared me as a kid, you know, and will scare future kids that watch it, but not a major part of the movie. What he's interested in is, I think, those shots of the suburbs of. Uh, I was just thinking of the biking again, and like uh-huh. the, all of the BMX stunt, crew. yeah, the stunt guys, but like the shots of the suburbs and being like, what does being alien mean? Like ETs in a found land. So are they, and all of that stuff is there. And the, how how um, commercialism has made us alien to ourselves and alien to the people around us. Because but how don't we... think about yourself, don't philosophize, because we have Star Wars toys, and we have all of, like how much pop culture isn't like ET learns how to get home by looking at a comic strip, watching a movie. You know, like that we're showing how Spielberg got to this place by like ET looking like this is how I get home putting doing the math putting it together this yeah. is how storytelling works see that is still to me though like i i love all those things about ET but it it's why it 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 for me comes a, a little bit short of blade runner because it i don't think anything that we've said is that different from anybody else's reading of that movie mm. i feel like there ET is not as much a text that we create in our interpretation of it as we read the text that Spielberg laid down perfectly. And that doesn't have, that doesn't mean it's bad, but to me, for my way of, of watching movies, I feel like less a part of ET because I don't feel like I create the final reality of ET. I feel like I, I feel like ultimately everybody has to create their own version of Blade Runner. And when you do that, it become it literally it becomes a part of you. Yeah, yeah. it's I, novel I, versus poetry. I Even feel though novels, there's a lot of things to be interpreted. But how we talk about novels versus how we talk about poetry. Yeah. I feel the opposite because ET is forgotten about because it's a kids movie. Whereas the internet is riddled with the same fucking exact Blade Runner theories and has been since the dawn of the internet. But see, I'm less interested. I think as a podcast, we're less interested in who's a replicant and who's not a replicant. We're Stupid. more interested in the question. No, but like the God stuff, too. Like it, Blade Runner is talked about, and yeah. people don't have. It's not that crazy of an extremity between what people are saying about it. Yeah, well, I mean, it doesn't. It's not that everybody has to have their own absolutely original take on it. As much as there are these questions and that your individual answers to the questions, although they may not be radically different than anybody else's, you may come away with the same set of answers. There's just a lot more answers for you to individually give. It feels a little bit more like a choose your own adventure. And see with ET, I just think the answers are only the beginning. Like once you get the answers, like that's when the movie opens up. And I guess that's always the way with Spielberg, right? That that it's like at on I mean, some level AI. on okay. some level you think that it's simple, <laughs> but but on another level it's like, well no, it's simple. You think it's simple because it's matters of the heart, but those are the most complex right. matters. 
Well, Mike, I'm going to you last. So, Greg, what's your vote? I am going to be not a slam dunk, not by a huge margin, but for the reasons I have laid out, I am Blade Runner. And I'm E.T. Mike, for the entire season of 1982, a lot it on all your comes shoulders. down to you. It's too much. It's too much on my shoulders, gentlemen. I abstain. Has that happened ever? <laughs> I, Just I, say dog day afternoon. It's dog day afternoon for me. Yeah, I think for going from hating it to loving it to going and expecting kids' movies to so much deeper than that and kind of being the Spielberg hater on the show, which is not what I think I am, but that's what I've been foisted upon me. Uh, I'm just saying words until I decide that E.T. <laughs> is the winner. Of oh! my <laughs> that was exciting for me. <laughs> it doesn't help if I actually knew the answer way earlier than I... Let no, that hurts. Like, Listeners at home, <laughs> I don't know if you're applauding or booing Mike, but uh, I, my, I was on the edge of my seat. I just, uh, Day Afternoon is such a good movie, but Jaws is so much better. And I thought we were going right Erroneous. <laughs> Dog Day is still better than Jaws. Mike, can you take your erroneous robot out of here? Yeah, I definitely don't like look back on that and think like we got that one no. wrong. It's Jaws. not a Jackie Brown situation. I, this, <laughs> this to me is it's going to take a little bit, of, a little bit of chewing on, even though there was not a lot of daylight between the two of them in my mind. Uh, I thought I I guess I thought Blade Runner was gonna prevail. Here's what you get, Greg. Though uh, all of our fans are like, uh, I only like Greg now. Yeah, <laughs> Greg heads get it. Yeah, Greg, Greg heads, heads get it. Greg, Greg heads, heads provide. Uh, Mike and Ryan heads don't exist. So yeah. that's a bummer. Maybe I'm somebody start those up. Heads. Holy shit, guys! That is 1982. Wow, it's over. Et is the winner. Mike, what are you? What are we doing next? I don't. 2001, 2002. 2002. 2002. Yeah, no space odysseys here. We're just going straight to 2002. It's Mike's party. 20 years ago. There's a oh Spielberg. my God, that's disgusting. There's a Spielberg movie. There's a Lord of the Rings movie. There's a Spider-Man movie, guys. That is all facts. 9-11 had just happened. Had we had time A lot of people don't remember yet? this, but 9-11 actually happened pretty late in the year. <laughs> yeah, we're still <laughs> reeling from it. What month was that? Oh, shit. What day was it? August? August 10th. August 10th. A day that will live in infamy. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for going on this journey with me. Gladly. 1982 was a great track. Yeah. This, and maybe we say this every year and I just don't remember, but this this is one of the harder years to leave. Like, I, I agree. I would with love that, yeah. to keep we watching kept 82 adding movies. Bonus yeah. Episodes. <laughs> like, we just couldn't let it go. And it was starting to get silly season. <laughs> I mean, it was like we were just going to watch any old movie from 1982 and record our voices about it. Um, listeners, thank you so much for going on this journey with us. Uh, for Mike. For Greg, I'm going to put them both in the basket of my bike, and we're going to drive home, and it's going to be rad. As always, keep watching those fucking movies. <laughs>